Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with me, Nicholas Feasy. So I always think it's nice just to start by just bringing ourselves into our bodies, just arriving in the space or wherever you are at home as well. Maybe just uh, taking a moment with our eyes closed just to just think what's been going on with us this week. Our preoccupations and concerns. And we do bring some of that in with us today. Our minds are always racing on different things. Let's just be aware of what we're thinking about, what we're concerned with. Maybe make a decision to be present in the room. And in doing that, maybe take our attention away from what we're thinking into our bodies into our hearts, just becoming aware of our breathing into that place where our souls meet with the souls of the divine. O love divine to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden. Come and cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Let's just decide to be present, to listen, to be aware of what's going on, and just to hear whatever comes our way. Amen. Well, I can't really start today without acknowledging uh, the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, uh, which is <laughs> seems to be going on everywhere but here. <laughs> so uh, I had to do that. Uh, very uh, happy, uh, Mom, if you're watching. Um, but I did think I'd start um, with some T.S. Eliot, just a good old uh, American English poet. Uh, um, and it's just his, I've got this theme of community, and uh, there's this wonderful poem from T.S. Eliot uh, called The Rock. And uh, it, it just sort of sums up this, the whole idea of community that we've been talking about. Let me show you the work of the humble. Listen. In the vacant places, we will build with new bricks. Where the bricks have fallen, we will build with new stone. Where the beams are rotten, we will build new timbers. Where the word is unspoken, we will build with new speech. There is work together. A church for all, a job for each. Every man to his work. What life have you, if not a life together? There's not life that's not community, and no community not lived in praise of God. And now you live dispersed on ribboned roads, and no man knows or cares who his neighbor is, unless his neighbor makes too much disturbance 
but all dash to and fro in motor cars, familiar with the roads and settled nowhere. Much to cast down, much to build, much to restore. Let not the work delay, time and arm not waste. Let the clay be dug from the pit, let the saw cut the stone, let the fire not be quenched in the fall. The word of the Lord came to me saying, O miserable cities of designing men, O wretched generation of enlightened men, betrayed in the maze of your ingenuities, sold by the proceeds of your proper invention. I have given you hands which you turn from worship. I have given you speech for endless palaver. I have given you my law and you set up commissions. I've given you lips, you express friendly sentiments. I've given you hearts for reciprocal distrust. I've given you the power of choice and you only alternate between futile speculation and unconsidered action. And the wind shall say, here are decent, godless people. Their only monument, an asphalt road and a thousand golf balls. When the stranger says, what is the meaning of this city? Do you huddle closer together because you love each other? What will you answer? We all dwell together to make money from each other, or this is a community. I think those are fantastic words. Uh, from Eliot about the clear need of the recognition of community and the recognition of the sacred within community. And that's why I think that's why we're here. It says in our mission statement that the Aspen Chapel is to remind peoples that there is foremost a spiritual dimension to existence. Now, we come together as a community here at the chapel I think because of our shared values and a desire to see the world a better place. For me, our community here is about participating, sounds a bit grand, but it is what I think, in the evolution of consciousness by making our own individual and corporate loving response to the world. We affirm the unitive nature of all things here. We, do, we affirm our interdependence and the need for responsible global citizenship in a world that is fraught with divisions. And the way we do that is through our commitment to our own personal transformation. You know, I think all of us are called individually to our own personal transformation, called, called by the universe and by God into a more intimate relationship. We're called like a, a lover. We're invited to participate with the world. And that invitation comes through our hearts, which is why I wanted to start the service in our hearts. By opening our hearts, we open our heart to the universe and to what it's saying to us, and to hear the feeling of joy of that calling of the universe. Scott Peck describes community, he wrote the uh, Roadless Travel, he describes community as a group of individuals who've learned to communicate honestly with each other, whose relationship goes deeper than the masks of their composure, 
and they developed some significant commitment to rejoice together, to mourn together, to delight in each other, and to think of each other as we think of ourselves. True commitment is the deepest sharing of consciousness, the consciousness of the present moment. We here are in community because we are sharing this present moment. It's a sharing of the 360-degree awareness that includes everything that we're conscious of. It includes everything that's out there. It includes everything in here, the present moment, our thoughts, our emotions, all time past and all time future. There is a present moment, and we are contained by the dimension of time in the present moment, not at the effect of it. Sharing this experience of present is, I think, the basic foundation of community. But that's not always possible, and when we're not in a state of this presence, which is easy to be when we're together in a room, we can be aware of ourselves and, and be in presence with each other. But when we're rushing about, it's not easy to do that. And so I think you know, there's a state of mind that engenders community. And that state of mind is you know, being respectful to others. It is about non-judgmentalism. It's about sharing what we have and about being forgiving. And I think community is that openness to all that goes beyond those masks of our composure. We have to go beyond the desire to satisfy ourselves as individuals and aim to satisfy the community that we serve. And that means going beyond our own wants and needs and, and trying to help the wants and needs of others. And, and that's really the, the direction I'm going in. A while ago, I mentioned an article that I read in the National Geographic. It's called, Why Ski Towns Are Seeing More Suicides. Why Ski Towns Are Seeing More Suicides. It's by Kelly McMillan. She says, people come here, they try to set up a life, and it's probably not what they expected. They're isolated from their families, their support systems, there is huge financial crisis that creates stress on people with seasonal work, housing shortage, the price of rentals, and just the cost of living in general. And on top of that, due to the transient nature of these resort communities, their social makeup is often more tenuous. Residents lack intergenerational relationships and deep social attachments which are protective against suicide. That means when faced with issues, people have less support. And I think, you know, in the chapel here, we're here to help with that and to foster a sense of community in our valley. Here in Aspen, I think we, the chapel, are the visually present icon serving as a reminder of the spiritual side of Aspen's mind, body, and spirit ideal. You come off the roundabout, boom, there it is. And it says, spirit, straight away. We're that reminder. And not only the building, but we have to be that reminder as individuals. I said last week that we were little seeds of community. And we have to provide that community. I think that is our baseline. Our very existence, I think, is predicated on the fact that we try to make a positive contribution to the world. And that, that starts with the person sitting next to you here, or sitting next to you on the sofa at home, and the one in front of you, probably haven't got one in front of you at home, 
and the one behind you, and it goes on from there. That's where it starts. And we have to go beyond our desire to be satisfied as individuals and aim to be satisfying the community. And that, as I said, goes beyond our wants and needs. And I was talking at an event the other day, and someone asked what the role of service played in spirituality. And I said that whether they knew it or not, service was actually the purpose of their life. Service is the purpose of your life, whether you know it or not. Just like a tree serves in its life, it provides shelter for birds and animals, it leaves, its leaves provide food and then rot on the ground and enrich it, so our lives are actually all about service, whether we want to admit it or not. Most of the time, our ideas of our lives tend to revolve around what we want. We want to get money, family, relationships, things. We want to do fun things. We want to travel. We want to have fun. However, that's all really just us fulfilling our own individual wants and needs. And as I said earlier, part of the idea of living in communities is going beyond that. The truth is that like a tree, our lives are essentially about serving. That lovely quote from um, Paul, he says, Paul, I, I was once, I, I've told this story before, I was, I was once in, uh, in Cyprus and I was driving along the road with my wife. <laughs> we were driving along and Heather said to me, Paul preached there. And I said, Paul who? <laughs> I literally, episode. Anyway, that Paul. <laughs> so Paul said, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That's what he says. His idea is that our lives are in fact holy, meaning all, and holy, meaning sacred, in service to the created order. Our lives are in service to the created order. If we realize that, we would live a deeply satisfied life. And he even refers to this as an act of worship. Service as an act of... We think of service as this, you know doing stuff in here, but he says that service is an act of worship. To be a living sacrifice is your true and proper worship. You know, generally it's about going to church worship, but Paul says that your very life can be an act of worship by making your life an act of service to God. You're, in fact, continuing in a state of, service, of worship. Worship literally means giving worth to. And, you know, I'm sure none of you do here, but when you worship a rock star... You know, you give worth or significance to that rock star. You allow the values and the expressions of that person to define you because you've decided that they are of worth. And when you worship the divine life, what you're doing is giving worth to the ultimate order. You're giving worth to the ultimate order in life and allowing that to define you. You give yourself up to it. And that's what it means to be a living sacrifice. You say to God... You say, take, or the universe, take my life. You know my wants, my needs more than I do. Let me be a part of the unfolding universe. Let me play a part. That's what you're saying in life. You become a living sacrifice. Literally, sacre ficio, sacrifice. Sacre ficio, sacre holy, ficio made. You are made holy by giving yourself over to the purpose. 
You're made holy. What that means in actuality is you recognize that everything is part of one's unfolding consciousness. And that whether we know it or not, humanity is spearheading that unfolding consciousness. A loving creation that's been developed since the Big Bang and that we're now at the sharp end of. And what that means is that what we each individually do matters. And if we choose to serve our own needs or wants, then it seems that there's nothing contributed to the unfolding. We're just turning in on ourselves. But if we see ourselves as a vital part of creation, then we give of ourselves, we become a living sacrifice, we are made holy, and life unfolds further through us. We become part of the evolution of consciousness. And that, that's the true service. That's how our lives, our service, become an act of worship. We give ourselves so that life may develop and that evolution may carry on through us. Now, you know, that is a bit of a lofty ambition. And, you know, how do we bring that down to everyday life? How do we, how do we separate our own natural wants and needs uh, from, you know, becoming part of something bigger? And, and that's one of the key spiritual conundrums of life. How do you, you know, when do you act and when do you not act? You know, when are you acting selfishly, when you're not acting selfishly? You know, when do you do something? When are you serving your own needs? That bit from Shakespeare really, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's so often said, but it absolutely sums it up, that dilemma, to be or not to be. That's the question. Whether it is noble in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles by opposing end them, to die, to sleep, no more. And by a sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished, to die, to sleep, perchance to dream. Uh, there's the rub. You know, when, when do you decide when to act? And do you give up? I mean, I mean it's a difficult thing. In the, in the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita, if you read it, it starts with a warrior, Arjuna, turning to his god, Krishna, before battle. And he looks out at the battle and he says, I've got no desire to kill all these people. Why should I do it? What's the point in doing the action? What's the point in doing anything? And, and the god Krishna replies, know that your duty is to act without hesitation. Your duty is to act without hesitation. He goes on to say, you have a right to your actions, and this is the key thing when, when, you're, when you're worrying about what to do. He says, you have a right to your actions, but never to your actions' fruits. You have a right to your action, but never to your actions' fruit. Act for the sake of action's sake, and do not be attached to the results or to inaction. He goes on to say that, you know, in, in the whole idea of things, it is the decision to act that is important. So when he would say to be or not to be, he'd say, be, act, and don't worry about it. You know, we have the same thing in our Bible with Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity, everything is vanity. Everything is utterly meaningless. And when you try and work out whether you're serving yourself or serving the greater whole, it does feel that way. It just feels you're just going around in circles. You want to serve, but you want to work out where the best place to be is. The dichotomy is to be or not to be actually is irrelevant. 
what is being said in the Bhagavad Gita is you don't need to worry about whether or not you're serving your needs or the needs of a whole. It's only in your attachment to the outcome that your deeds become self-serving. It's only when you worry about what is going to happen afterwards that you start worrying about, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? It is the decision to act that is the important decision. You act with impunity if you're not attached to the results. It says later in the Gita, a man finds success by worshipping with his own right actions the one from whom all actions arise and by whom the world is pervaded. In other words, once you decide to become that living sacrifice, right action arises within you and you will naturally do what is right. The corruption appears when you become attached to the outcome. And it's our attachment to outcomes that we see the difference between our own self-serving and the greater wants and needs of others. A genuinely transformed desire to make a contribution for the good of whole arises out of that idea of being a living sacrifice. There's a great passage in the Tao Te Ching, which says, he who stands on tiptoe doesn't stand firm. He who rushes ahead doesn't go far. He who tries to shine dims his own light. He who defines himself can't know who he really is. He who has power over others can't empower himself. He who clings to his work will create nothing that endures. If you want to accord with the Tao, just do your job and then let go. Do what you do and then let go. And it is completely infallible. We worry about whether or not we're being selfish. How do I decide what's good for the whole? What's good for my good? There's no need. The test comes in the attachment to your actions. And it's so difficult because we are so attached. It is the seed of our corruption. I see it in myself on a Sunday. I, I want 100 people to turn up again after COVID. And I want to. I sit down out there going, oh, I hope 100 people turn up. You know, I'm attached to that. That is my corruption in that. It reminds me of the wonderful prayer. And I love these old prayers, you know. Teach us, good Lord, to serve as you deserve, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not for ask for any reward, save knowing that we do your will. And that is the true spirit of service. And I think that is what builds community. Why? Because it creates real contribution that's not corrupted by an expectation of return. Love is giving with no expectation of return. And the very first step on that journey is the most difficult one. It is to seek first the kingdom of heaven, which is to make that commitment to have your life be a life of service. That wonderful line from Romans, all things count for good for those that love the Lord. Now, you know, you can use that in... But what really means is that if you're committed to that loving response to the universe, then everything will count for good. You're not relying on your own strength. You're relying on your relationship with the divine and with the universe. And it's such as such that your good works come about. And it'll, you know, you may not be able to make any sense of it. That wonderful line from Neil deGrasse Tyson, the universe is under no obligation to make sense to you. The universe is under no obligation to make sense to you. We want to decide how to deserve 
and then we will make it happen. We try to feel good about what we've done. Instead, we have to, as the Tai Chi Ching says, do our work and then step back. That is the path to serenity. And for me, that is what it means to be a community, to fundamentally serve each other in that way. That what brings us about here, our desire to serve. And it should enable us to have those other things, to be respectful of others, to be non-judgmental, share what we do, to be forgiving. Our common desire is to serve, not to be right. And what that might mean, we'll look at it uh, next week. Just to remind you of those words of Eliot, when the stranger says, what is the meaning of this city? Do you huddle closer together because you love each other? What will you answer? We will dwell together to make money from each other, or this is a community. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.